0: This is Justin DeClue, and this is an important cinema club commentary track exclusive. A few months ago, me and Liam O'Donnell, the writer-director of Beyond Skyline, did a commentary track for that film to celebrate the release of the third film in the series, Skylines. Well... That film has come out, you can now find it on Netflix, and I am happy to present to you a commentary track with the writer-director Liam O'Donnell for Skylines. Now, I am not included on this track because it was recorded for the Blu-ray release of the film, but it did not end up making it on the disc. So here, you can listen to it for free All you have to do is watch Skylines, go, man, it would be really fun to hear all the the behind-the-scenes story from its writer-director, and then bring it up on your Blu-ray, on VOD, or on Netflix, and I will count you down to when you should hit play. And hit play in three, two, one, play.
1: Hello, I am writer, director, producer of Skylines, Liam O'Donnell. What you're hearing right here is the track Trent Noir. Uh, done by a good friend of mine, Anthony Scott Burns, a fantastic director and uh, amazing musician as well, known as Pilot Priest. We met about ten years ago at Hydraulics after I saw some of Anthony's shorts, and we talked about projects. And uh, you know, sometimes that's just the way things work. And I needed a synth track uh, for Trent's theme. I wanted something sort of badass and 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 a throwback to a, a sort of Carpenter score. And uh, Anthony's new movie Come True had come out, and I remembered that he was excellent at this, and it became a really cool late addition to the movie sonically. So, there's definitely, I've always wanted to do uh, an opening narration, something like this. That was one of my favorite movies, I think you probably tell from watching this, is The Fellowship of the Ring. And this is like, what's the Skylines version of uh, of a Lord of the Rings opening narration? And, And it's multiple purposes for it, is one, I always like to have the movies stand alone, um, so that if anyone's watching this, you know, 10, God hopes 20 years from now, they see this movie, they, they can kind of get the whole story in one. And two is because this wasn't a pre-designed trilogy, you know, some of the rules and the the way that we've figured these characters out as we've gone, it's like it's like Grant says, uh, it's pretty complicated. So uh, let's just try to get, the, you know, the, the, the beats down as quickly as you can and, and catch up on, on this crazy story about Rose and her powers and her origin. And uh, we're really thankful that Frank Grillo and Boyana Novakovich, little Elena Zajaraj were so kind enough to let us use this footage because I think it really helped ground everything emotionally and, and set up our world. It doesn't really get any better than having James Cosmo do the opening narration, which a lot of this he did live around the campfire and was just, you know, a marvel to behold. But the other purpose I think it did was it, it, it helped us subtly shift the genre up front into more of an adventure story. And it also allowed me to condense what my, you know, first draft of this space battle was, was like 10 pages with gravity shifts within uh, the cockpit and them escaping last wave. Um, once I kind of locked into the narration, it allowed everything to condense and just kind of have a shorthand for all of the stakes and the emotion. And this would be my first opportunity to talk about Lindsay Morgan and, and how incredible this was our first day of shooting on green screen. It was like an X day, half a day. And, uh, She just came in so locked in and ready for this moment. It really set the tone for the entire shoot, you know, visual effects wise. This was the first thing that we started working on. And it was this right here was the last shot, you know, one of the last shots that we finished. It was really hard developing that look and style of our space and and ships. For, for this film, which are a little different from beyond. And uh, it's a tribute to everybody at Lip Sync in Soho who worked on almost uh, every single space shot and spaceship shot in the film. Uh, specifically, shout out to Adam Buckner, who was our VFX supervisor there. This was our first uh, look at the tent village, which we shot on the back lot in Vilnius, Lithuania. And you see again, the great James Cosmo, who. Everyone that even actors like Daniel Bernhardt, who weren't in this scene, he came to to watch him act and uh, and just kind of like stand next to me at the monitor with a big smile on his face because uh, it's just so fun to watch him work. Speaking of which, I cannot say enough good things about our male lead here, Jonathan Howard playing Leon, who walked right into this scene brazenly owning it and giving a really nuanced performance. One of the things we discussed this evening was, was that Leon actually doesn't like his job. So even though he can manipulate young Kate here and he can intimidate people, there's a part of him that isn't really, his whole heart isn't behind it. And I think that that's kind of the key to Leon in general is that, you know, it, it, it could be such an unlikable performance that he has to be kind of a, a jerk to, to Rose and, and and kind of catching her and bullying her a little bit. Um, but he still has some sort of underlining sympathy, so that the, uh, he never really loses the audience, to, despite how uh, bad his behavior may be at sometimes. That we we kind of uh, always sense that there's a there's a deeper sensitivity beneath, and uh, hopefully, you know, uh, he can be redeemed, and you know, eventually, the, the audience will actually fall in love with this guy, and that that's just a really difficult tight tightrope to walk, and. You know, I I just couldn't couldn't have been more impressed with Jonathan coming in. This is one of his first nights acting against a legend like James Cosmo and just completely owning it. This tent uh, was in and out a few times, but uh, we really kind of condensed it just to these essential beats of of seeing the blood and uh, and knowing that she had a ticking clock and needed to get a refill. This shot was one of the hardest uh, visual effects in the movie. Went through several iterations uh, and red visual effects from London ended up coming in and doing both of these shots which were awesome and in the higher difficulty. We added this pilot here from Scope who did the rest of these and this is all right outside of one of our warehouses in Vilnius, Lithuania. It's our little sprawl section showing you know, our, our future city of, uh, of red pilots and humans living together. And here we have the lovely Rona Mitra playing Dr. Mal. I've been a fan of her since uh, Ali G's Into House, which if you haven't seen, it's, it's a deep hole, and she's uh, delightful in it as always, but uh, obviously a big fan of Neil Marshall's Doomsday. And... This was a role that we thought of in a couple of different ways. And then once her name was floated, it just made way too much sense. Rona was just so so great at, at grounding all of this medical sci-fi mumbo-jumbo. She's done it before. And thanks to her heavy lifting, we really get to enjoy having Yayan back in the movie, which was an insane decision that I love with all my heart. I also really enjoyed the energy between the two of them, which this was the first day of shooting this scene. And I kind of realized it, it was something that you, you don't necessarily see a lot of, which was a more seasoned female action heroine kind of mentoring a younger one. It's uh, it's quite common in males. Uh, and uh, and it, it wasn't something that uh, I really was even conscious of from, from the get-go. But then once... You see them on set, you're like, oh, right. <laughs> and uh, and that obviously manifested into more ideas uh, the farther we got into filming. So that's Ray. Ray the alien, which is a shout-out to Neil Hopkins Ray from the first Skyline, who was the first uh, human in the group abducted in the penthouse. Bonus if you ever caught that. Uh, this was uh, Fong and Tane from Real Deal Stunts, two of our fight stunt coordinators action designers choreographers they're all multi-talented gentlemen this is a very complicated shoot because main unit had to shoot Lindsay uh first and then second unit had to shoot uh johnny side and uh natalie walsh doing our uh rose stunt double doing a lot of the stunts so it was the first time i ever worked with a, a second unit and um there's some growing pains it was even stuff like with the lenses and, and the angles matching. and uh, I think we definitely got better at it uh, as we went. But it was a, it's a fun little action scene, little first act. Uh, it, was, it was one of those things I wanted to show that uh, Rose had, had learned from Frank and Sua and all the badasses of the Resistance that once she got old enough, they, they obviously taught her how to fight. Um, we had another scene here of them getting loaded in, but it, it worked better to just trim this and get onto the truck, which is one of my prouder scenes just because we had a, we had a scene with this information much later in the movie. And we, when I realized when we filmed it that it was going to not be the right time. I knew we needed to talk about Mark Corley and Rose's past right up front right here. And so that morning, which uh, Lindsay and Johnny were both just supposed to be in this truck for like a shot and walk into the bunker. And I was like, hey, guys, we're here. We have a half day. Uh, I wrote this on my iPhone. Can can we film it? And so we had, you know, two lenses, r- drove back and forth that road a few times, and uh, and they nailed it. Uh, I, I'm actually sitting in the seat right in front of them uh, holding a single microphone, which is Really just a scratch track because we had to ADR everything. And this was a Soviet bunker outside of Vilnius, which was one of the more harrowing scouts I've ever been on. The air in here just does not smell right. Um, They were using it for an actual interactive theater, which sounded quite fascinating. But um, I realized that uh, we could just film the door. Uh, As cool as the insides looked, I'm like, oh, I'm good using stages for the hallways. I really did not like the feeling of being in there. So this is now into a, a, a warehouse that we had rented um, for a couple of our different sets. Which brings us to the man. Of course, it's a Predator homage shot there. It was just a... I couldn't help myself. We were, we were almost moved on, but I was like, uh, let's just do a little insert here. They did do a full Predator hom- homage, just grabbing each other and flexing, but... Even I have my limits. <laughs> so, so be thankful. There is some restraint uh, here. Uh, there was a little bit of a longer scene, longer entrance in here, but it, I ended up choosing to come in on uh, the old classic whiskey glass pour, which brings us to General Radford, played by Alexander Siddig, just an incredible actor and a, and a gentleman as well. Uh, he did this for like, three hours this day without stopping, just resets, very simple, easy adjustments, oh, go again for camera sort of thing. And I remember he turned and said, asked our AD, Elliot, if he could have some tea. And Elliot's like, well, it's almost lunch. I was like, Elliot, get the man some tea. He's been been reciting like five pages of dialogue. Um, These holograms were put together uh, by... An old friend of mine, Matthew Santoro, who's a, a fil- another fantastic filmmaker in his own right, another great director. Um, luckily with the pandemic, I had a lot of friends available who could uh, who could come on and and hit up different parts of uh, of this movie and so we're really lucky to get this you know very cool, slightly throwback but um, new feel for these holograms. Now the blocking here was interesting. You know, obviously just from the beginning with the whiskey glass, the fact that she takes it, you know, kind of invites him in. And at that point, he's he's now really trying to seal the deal all the way through. It's, but every time he gets close to her, she kind of pulls away. She keeps her distance. Uh, but he just knows exactly, you know, the right chords to play to pull her in. And that includes, you know bringing up the most traumatic experience that she has in the Armada vessel's destruction and the, the extra ship's destruction. And it's really the biggest mystery to her. You know, I know a lot of people um, are maybe hoping for more mysteries about the aliens to be uh, delved into, but uh, to me it was more about what what's the, the more interesting mystery to Rose. And she isn't quite sure what happened to her in that moment and why she wasn't able to come through and what's been blocking her. And so that's sort of what is more driving her, what's more driving the character through this story. Cobalt One, where did I come up with that name? You know, I think Cobalt was an armor color in Halo. And uh, and I I think you can tell from this movie, I really loved playing the first Halos and I just loved that. It's obviously a a type of blue, a shade of blue, and it just felt like a great name for a planet. And, um, you know, since you always need to add a number to the name, but Cobalt One just kind of rolls off the tongue. Everybody seemed to like it. This montage was all much longer scenes. Um, I guess not much longer, but they all had, like, reactions, entrances, and exits, and Rose kind of was just cracking jokes uh, about how... Much she didn't want to be around Owens and Leon for that matter. You can tell from her expression, she kind of the look was saying it all. Um, and it just needed to be faster. And so uh, Barrett and I just kept exploring and, and trying to condense it as much as possible using different parts. Um, the bigger scene was this Z and Alexi scene um, where we, we they had more interaction where Z and Alexi could actually hear what Rose was saying on the other side. And they explained to her how the whole interplanetary travel worked, uh, which we realized, you know, we didn't need to do. We could do it just within one single hologram. Uh, This scene used to be a lot longer, and uh, that will be in the deleted scene, and it's one of the ones I missed the most. But, again, we just wanted to get the energy uh, moving forward because we knew we were about to come into a long, dialogue-heavy scene here with my main man, Trent, played by Jeremy Fitzgerald, who uh, rep- reprised his role from beyond uh, as our, our lead suit actor, lead pilot actor. And the eyes for Trent in every single shot, almost every single shot, were done by uh, one VFX artist, Justin Martinez, who uh, would act out the eyes himself and and then kind of put them within the shot. And he did an incredible job. And it's really, it's like the performance is, is twofold. And, and it's also a tribute to Lindsay, who really is the person that ultimately brings him to life because of the way that she treats him and the way that she just regards him. You know, if you look at her face, like, there's always genuine... Love and concern uh, for this big foam latex alien, and uh, to me, that that's the magic trick. This was this was one of those days on set that I just was was thanking the movie gods. Like, oh my god, this this is going to work because she's bringing him to life. Look what she's giving me. And we did do a lot of takes. Uh, there was a lot of dialogue, obviously, and even in the original scripted version, I didn't have the subtitles. You know, he had a lot of growls, and we kind of knew what he was saying, but we, I wasn't 100% sure that that was the route we were going to go. So a lot of her dialogue had these different, what do you mean this? What do you mean that? Uh, and kind of uh, pulling you along. And uh, and once we got into post, we realized we didn't need that once we added the subtitles and kind of tightened everything up. <laughs> This was another one of those moments that just, you know, made me really happy because you have to buy in that Trent cares for her. And when he grabs her hand here and this shot right here, I always get a little bit of a flutter myself. And so again, it was just like, oh man, we we have it. We have this movie. This is this is the dynamic that I wanted. And why are they always wet? I think just like the the thumbs line were, was an ad-lib from Lindsay quite possibly aided by her uh, friend who was with us on set, uh, Renee Lovett, who is also quite a witty comedian. And so they would do their you know scene readings and then they'd come in the next day and have all these funny ad-libs that uh, I was more than happy to add. Uh, again, this is a... One of my favorite scenes in Beyond Skyline between Frank and Elena and it wasn't originally going to be in the movie, um, but we had her waking up and we thought, huh, it's a nice, interesting place to, to put, um, you know, a dream sequence in there and then add even a little bit more foreshadowing with the matriarch and really, really, again, stoked that, that we were able to use that footage. And here's uh, another ad lib or, I guess, idea that Lindsay brought to me with her having a towel post-shower. I think this is the type of thing that uh, a male director like myself would probably not think of. Um, But she was like, you just said that I'm showering. My hair would still be wet. It's not something that ever occurred to me, but it made it quite funny to me. And again, it wasn't something that I'd I'd ever seen before in, in an action movie. Here is our lovely armory set, um, which, you know, was established in Beyond Skyline in a more biomech setting. And the idea here is that the humans have now retrofitted around the alien ship. Which continues to the bridge. You know, this is, you know, in theory, the same bridge from the prologue sequence, but now they've put a bunch of steel beams in there. And, uh and kind of contained it off from the rest of the ship so that it, it's a little bit more human-scaled. The equipment is a lot of found items uh, that we, we got from the studio from previous productions and retrofitted and slapped in there. The steel beams were ours, and the console were ours, but, uh, you know, it's part of indie filmmaking. you got to use everything that you got. And this is our first real team scene. Um... These scenes are always really difficult to shoot because you have so many different actors and angles that you need to cover. I didn't feel like we got all of them this day, Um, so it's a little bit more rapid fire of a cut than I think I would have wanted, but I'm pretty happy with how it all turned out. But what was great about the final edit compared to the script is that she was basically saying no from the end of the general scene to all of the meetings in the hallway to Trent's room, you know, in Trent's room, she's obviously refusing to Trent and kind of asking him to convince her. So we already kind of knew how she felt. Uh, And by getting rid of all of that, it it set the table better for Rose here to just kind of say like, you have half a plan. And we realized that she's, you know, she's been taking all of this in and she's been thinking the whole time and, She's got questions for them. They've got answers, but they're not the best answers. And that there does still feel like there's there's some holes within this whole thing, um, for how crazy of a mission it all is. And I think I felt like that as the screenwriter. So I was just having her constantly kind of poke holes in, into my logic. And I think ultimately I was like, okay, you know, let's save it all for this one scene. And unloaded on the general, but we've already emotionally put her into a corner with Trent and the stakes of the world that we know she has to ultimately say yes. Um, So that ended up being a much more satisfying direction to go in.
0: Uh, those consoles and uh, holograms were, again, another
1: Matthew Santoro effect that was not something that was originally thinking of. I was just thinking of, of kind of a, a hologram in the middle. And he came up with this really cool skin overlay that brought it all up another level. Here's our beautiful hallway. Thank you, Cedric. Thank you, Perrin. Now, this is obviously the same life pod that she's in. We only built one life pod, people. Um so that's just Lindsay looking into a glass window to nowhere. And then we shot uh, on a separate splinter unit, I guess second unit, that shot of uh, Cha and Yeva. But I always loved this shot of Rose right here. Uh, she looks like she's uh, you know, in a, in a World War II propaganda poster or something. It's just sort of a magic lighting that Alon did for that little bit and uh, and Lindsay, she again came up with this sort of salute to owens which uh was better than any line so this is a really cool sequence where we're we're setting up uh we kind of condensed something later where they had to manually turn the ship to blue and we put it into this warping sequence here as all sort of one thing and uh Scope um out of Cologne did amazing post vis for that. That that lip sync then did a great job finishing. And this is uh one of my favorite pieces of score in the movie from our uh composer Ram. It's a difficult part though because it's such epic outside space shots and then going into a very small intimate scene. So it, we we definitely tweaked it quite a bit. Um but I love what he did with it, and I love when it comes full circle at the end. The life pod, and again, Leon, um, you know, maybe having a bladder infection, is that, that could be something that would explain the constant references to him being. Um, Back at the tent village, uh, we see Kate, played by, uh, Naomi Tankel, this was her first ever movie role. And it's like, hey, here's who you're going to be paired up with James Cosmo, Rona Mitra, and Yayan Ryan. So, um, you know, no pressure, but uh, she did a great job. And again, this is the, the, the Yayan story, was, was something I added a few months before production. And realized he could he could be fit into the movie, and uh, I'm so happy that he's there. Every time he lifts his cloak there, and says his line, I I get flooded with happiness. This was one of the more um, gratifying scenes to film. It was always tricky writing it, but uh, you know I, I wanted to explore what it was like for people. In like he, the, the, you know, there's always been sort of this weird pressure to like show the invasion in different parts of the world. You know, I, I've, I've talked about this before, but that was uh, some of the original Skyline 2 concepts were like, we'll just do the invasion again in, in Shanghai or, or or do it in London. And so this was kind of like imagining what his invasion story would have been. And there was talk at one point of, of, of actually flashing to it, which would have been cool, but budget constraints. Um, and also, once Jonathan and Lindsay acted the scene out, uh, we didn't feel like we needed it anymore because, you know, it, when we he came in this day, I, you can just kind of tell some days when it's it's the reason why he took the role you know and it was later in the schedule so him and lindsay had a, had a really great rapport already and a lot of chemistry already already built up and so that's actually the tricky part is that they had to then kind of remove it while they're still feeling each other out in the scene and it was one of those those days where the the rehearsal of course like blew everybody away and in my mind, I'm still like, was that the best take? And we didn't film it, but no, no, he did several better, but it was just like, okay, this is, this is going to be a special day. And, and the crew kind of gets quieter and, you know, obviously it's a quiet scene, but it just, everyone was, was being pulled in by the performance. And then, and, and it was a great feeling, you know, For from a writer to have someone really commit to your words and, and really bring it to life. It's. It's a great compliment, and, you know, I just can't say enough good things about Jonathan in this scene. I really feel like, again, he, he walked a tightrope, um, wanting to share something, you know, while still keeping his guard up and only would do it once she let her guard down. You know, once she says, she asks him that question, that's sort of the key. This was a longer sequence um, originally where they had to kind of go through some of these asteroids and they were banging the ship and it just felt like one beat too many and I wanted to get to seeing Cobalt without sort of starting up the action and then bring it back down again. I was like, okay, let's... And even the score for this moment was something that we went back and forth on. You know, there's a there's a bigger horn, cobalt theme, uh, but I actually wanted to do more of the matriarch's theme here to set up again the mystery, the lure, and then she's feeling it in this moment, which is kind of all tied into the siren light to me from the very beginning. You know, that that was always the The concept of of the siren lights in the first skyline is that it's this sort of beautiful, alluring light that makes you you want to look at it and it it's like looking into it, pulls you forward and mesmerizes you and and so that's a little bit of the the, the lure of this planet and the lure of the matriarch on Rose throughout the whole movie. Now, these sub-deck holograms were done, again, by Red VFX out of London, and they went wild with them. Really, really cool. Super happy with how they, those all came together. Lip Sync, again, handled all of this space uh, and the rings of cobalt, which was something from the, the very beginning. I think just as a kid, uh, I've, I was always obsessed with Saturn, and I always thought when you when you saw that the rings were just a bunch of uh asteroids and, and dust and debris, it was always kind of disappointing. And so I wanted to make a planet with actual solid rings that she would have to maneuver through. Um, one of one of the producer's notes, uh, the Greg and Collins notes from early on in the development was they were like, It's just one ship, it should be twelve. And um <laughs> it's it's a very typical uh note from them that it's like oh okay i mean i get it does make sense one shot is uh, might as well make it a huge shot but um ultimately it, it it became a little simpler for everyone to wrap their heads around if it was just another single ship that they crashed into and that uh was floating around within the rings Sort of setting up the, the fact that this planet is is going to be abandoned and not quite what they were expecting. Or what Rose was expecting, I should say. This sub-deck set was incredibly tricky to shoot in, very claustrophobic, and I found out uh, that my childhood claustrophobia is still quite active. I... I, I Generally, like to get up right in next to the actors and next to the camera. I, um, you know, depending on 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 the day and how I'm feeling, I'll, I'll be by the monitors. But I, I like to keep moving all throughout the day. I did not like being in that tiny little room uh, with everybody. It was hot, and and I don't think they liked me being in there either. It was like they didn't have a lot of space to work with. So it, it was a lot of just kind of poking my head in. And uh, and trying to once they were down in the seats and everybody was in place, you know, just kind of go through as many sets, uh, set takes as we could, and uh, and get the hell out of there. But uh, the whole, I think this whole sequence is 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 so well anchored by Alexander, you know, leaning on his Star Trek experience. Uh, he just you know lends so much credibility. To this, and it's kind of a weird setup because the aliens, uh, you know, Trent and Violet are the ones actually affecting and driving the ship, whereas the humans are are kind of stuck there. You know, we had all these switches for them to to hit if they felt like they needed to, but story-wise, there's nothing they're really doing. Um, they're just kind of uh, you know passengers who can have access to different information, but they can't really affect the outcome. It's all driven by Trent and Violet. Which, again, was one of those things where we knew, okay, we really do need to add subtitles and voices and really, you know, dial in the performances for Trent and Violet. It can't just be grunts and, um, you know, sort of similar to what we had in Beyond Skyline. We had to actually make them full fledged characters because they're the ones driving the ship. Here we are back in the tent village, and this was, our, 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 I think, one of our few night shoots. James um, came to me that day and said, I got a line from the Wild Bunch I really want to use. And then he read it to me, and I said, absolutely. What are you going to tell him? And uh, And, of course after you hear him say it, of course you're going to say yes. And this is Naomi's, you know, kind of big scene here. And again, to be in your first movie in the room with these two. Um, But Rona Rona and James are both very supportive. And Rona um, kind of gave me advice on how to get her into the right space there. And... I went through a couple of different. Oh, here's the wild bunch. Hell yeah, went through a different, a couple of different options of, of Rona's line. A, you know, aim for the eyes. Um, we had to aim for the creases. You know, aim aim for the heads. It, and then once I didn't feel like I, I'd had them really aiming at the eyes a ton, um, but then once we started doing the VFX, we it all looked like we could put a bunch of popping eyes in there and it, it worked great this is my favorite shot in this sequence that, that little moment between Z and and Lindsay this whole thing was, was a much longer kind of couple of different versions of that which are in the deleted scenes as well And we had a slow-mo walk down the hallway you know with, a, with synth bumping But it also felt like, you know, we just have to... That felt like more like a third act sort of vibe than something that you could be doing right here where it was time to get out onto the planet. I feel like I maybe should have mentioned up front that this is a pandemic commentary that I'm recording myself and I have four children in my house. So uh, I usually have to do it at the very end of the night when everyone's in bed and I've had a glass or two of wine. Which is why I just listened back to what what I just recorded there, and it was pretty low energy. So uh, this is daytime. Uh, I'm caffeinated, ready to give you guys a little bit more uh, pep. Uh, I love that line from Daniel, "The Death or Glory Corp." I mean, that's the type of stuff that that he he cracks me up every time uh, every time I see it. Here we had the matriarch, um, you know, mental sonic feedback, which was something that I had in the the script, it felt a little less specific than what it got to once we were filming. And then of course, once you're doing the sound and, and the score, and uh, I'm really happy with how that made the story mo- more cohesive by by kind of bringing all those elements together. This was called the ECB sequence in VFX, and it was one that Monocular Films um, took over, which is my visual effects company. Um, and scope helped as well thomas loader this is super cool hologram from red vfx now this was one of these sequences that originally we were going to shoot in gran canaria uh, spain which we scouted and it just became sort of not not feasible for the budget and the shoot and there's a lot of logistics that go into that and so again had to to make use of our our cobalt sets uh in a different way and build this this slot canyon up against you know was a completely different part here um scope did a, a fully cg tunnel extension there on the right um there's matte paintings behind matte paintings down this hallway that they turn to bonus points if you notice the leg falling off of Trent while he was walking there on that last shot tricky tricky visual effects and this is our first usage of the flamethrower which the plasma flamethrower as we called it which uh, Pix and reel out of Belgium built these props for us and there's a lot of talk of whether or not we were going to use blue flames or, um, just a different color. But once you get into the planet where everything's blue to then have blue on blue, this is just getting to be a lot of blue. And it, it's just simpler to read to have a the traditional orange, but I wanted it to, the reference was sort of one of those, um, fire tornadoes where it has a little bit of a spiral to it because that's why we're, we're using sort of a Gatling gun prop that's been modified to make it look like, uh, you know, this new type of flamethrower that they have. Now this is a, again, our cobalt set. Now they're up on top of what they were just walking under. This is the, what we shot, um, the very last scene of the movie, actually. A very emotional shoot. Um, the entire cast was taking bets on how many times they were going to have to walk down this hill. They were over and unders, um, I want to say Jonathan won, but maybe I'm just showing favoritism. I think the number that they had was like 17. He had was 17. And I think we got to 18, but they were all just goofing and 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 talking shit about me at the top of the hill while I kept having them go down because we kind of ended uh, almost ahead of schedule. This last two days, we're, we're, I mean the last day was them walking in the scene before this and then down this, and I, I almost just didn't want it to end. I kept having them go again and getting uh, different coverage, but we're almost using almost every different type of coverage here. You know, there's, there's steady cam up on the rocks. Um, there's obviously a lot of crane and dolly and we needed it all because this is kind of the biggest Vista viewpoint of the planet with them in it. So I really wanted to milk it out. This shot is a matte painting by Derek Winslow, who is our lead matte painter for monocular films and justin martinez comped that together this was actually our first cobalt shoot day and was pretty exciting obviously the biggest difficulty of of doing these was it's the first day everyone's in these outfits and uh there's a million led lights there's a million little pieces of plastic there's a million things that can break and take a lot of time to to reset so i would say that our first day and also just uh, is one of the things I learned from Beyond Skyline, like every, every group shot of, I'd say, more than like three actors where they're walking from point A to point B takes so much longer than you think because it's like herding cats. And then everybody always needs their last looks um, to get them all looking perfectly sweaty, dirty, but still sexy before each and every take. So it can be uh, it can be slow moving. Uh, I remember in Beyond Skyline, the, the walk to the temples was like, uh, half a day and then it rained and I cried. Uh, but this, this was, uh, this whole sequence up to this was the first day on cobalt. And I, I thought it was going to be half a day and I'm pretty sure it was a whole day. It was one of the, the few days we really got behind schedule just from that sort of, um, you know, breaking in the new wardrobes and, and, and props and these helmets and the led lights and Yeah. It was it was it was a lot of moving pieces. Um, there was we had all these bones and skulls actually all over the ground that Fido and Crete made in Spain that were all pilot skulls, but they didn't really read. And I, I noticed that just on the rehearsal, which is why I put the uh, alien suit there, um, propped up against the rock. I knew we needed an actual like dead corpse. Uh, and then in post uh, scope and. Monocular, you know, took took some chunks out of that poor pilot to help sell the the tomb line. And so here we are coming on to one of our first or you know real good looks at our new alien, which we call the shadows. Very tricky to figure out this look, and we went through a lot of different iterations, you know, we, we, you first kind of developed just doing kind of quick trailers of the movie. Um, one for the rap party, we cut a trailer internally. Um, Chad Van Horn, who is my onset editor also cuts uh, a lot of the stuff for me. He did that trailer. And then, um, we farmed one out to AFM in 2019 and Justin Martinez did a quick take on it, but it was, it was hard to get it right. You know, I, I was kind of coming at it from I want the, the shadows to come out and swallow us and I want them to be like it almost like a zero black look. Um, you know, it was like somewhere between Predator and Attack the Block. And I was leaning more towards the that, that, that cool look from Attack the Block as like a lo-fi solution because like everything else, we have to use what we already own and we already own the pilot assets. So I was like, "How do I use these three D assets of the pilots and fuck them up and make them still, you know, usable?" So that that was the basis of it. And um, then once we we got into post and we're lining them up on these kind of shorter stuntmen that we used from Paris and uh, in Berlin, we realized that we were going to have to alter the assets quite a bit. And so we ripped off their uh, dog legs to make it seem like they've they've even you know been become decrepit and they're like decaying, and so the back of the dog leg is now like a stump on these shadows, which is pretty cool. And then lip sync really n- dialed in the actual look of the the light bleeding, warping. Um, like I said, somewhere between a predator and Attack the Block alien, which became our shadow alien. As you see there, the actual bone structure. In face of it is a pilot, but with um, certain deformities like these spikes growing out of its skin. And its eyes are no longer blue. They're, they're, they're supposed to be cataract over. So originally here in the script, I had an argument between Rose and Owens on which way to go. And Rose saying to turn back. And then all of a sudden shit went off. And it was really like on the day, maybe the day before, that I came up with this idea of Rose just getting pulled. And that sort of changed everything and, and, and made all of the, the goals of the action scene so much more clear. And here we see the red Power Claw. I was very happy that we got that energy sparking in through the darkness. Here you see you're cutting between some second unit stuff on Owens and Alexi's side and main unit uh, with some second unit on, on the other side. The big main unit part here is, is, is Leon coming through on uh, all these bigger crane shots and him kind of coming all towards Rose. There's a lot of moving pieces in this. Um, I love this little bit. Uh, obviously, Owens had a much longer fight here um, that I would love to have in the movie, but it, same as Alexi, it just became a question of every single shot that they're in is expensive and how many shots, you know, is it going to take to tell that story when we kind of got the gist of what was going on with them and just overall pacing in the movie as well. You know, it was one of, one of the other lessons of beyond skyline is that learned that, that we're not, we're a hybrid movie. So we're in between, you know, we have martial arts and action elements and sci-fi elements. And there's, there's a kind of a, a length limit to the fights that we could use one just budgetarily to actually have all these parts fit together as a movie. But two, it's it's like it, we can't just go off on, on, a, on a, a very long tangent of action, action, action for, for a long, long period of time because there's so much story going on. You kind of, uh, and, and the story's got a lot of different moving parts that you can't uh, take such a long break from it. The, the action has to all be driving the story forward or else you know we lose the audience's attention. Uh, that's a great shot. This shot of, of Rose here was, was my favorite one that we did in this whole sequence, it was again, just like showcasing what I love about, uh, Lindsay's performance and Rose in general. It's just that even when she's failing, she's trying as hard as she can, you know, you can't fault her. Uh, she, she wants to save her, but that she's just not right at this moment. And here again, my main man, Trent, Trent saves the day. I love this part. I love the music here where we, we bring back a little bit of the synth score for Trent New War and uh, a little homage to Eco Sue's line in Beyond Skyline. But now we actually have an alien saying fucking aliens, which, yeah, of course I laugh every time I, I, I see that in the screening. Made me quite happy. <laughs> so uh, Yeva, had a just a, a great day on this. It was it was obviously very taxing and, and uh, emotional to to be sitting there and you know really feeling this pain and and driving this scene and pushing everyone away. Um, but I thought she did an amazing job. It's always a little sad when uh, when one of the cast members that uh, everyone's gotten so attached to is uh is going to die for that day i'm i'm not sure if she came back afterwards uh yes she did she did have some stuff to shoot afterwards but it's still a little bit like a funeral and it was tough on on Lizzie's side of that of how much emotion and and where to find it and i, I think we we definitely got there there's a there's a tent there's there was a at tempt, uh a temptation to get more emotional but i felt like it was just the right balance for someone that she wasn't that close with, but she felt the shame of her thinking that she was the savior and she couldn't even save her. But boom, implosion grenades, gravity stuff. I mean, that that's all going to come back later. Um, Thomas did, Thomas Loder did the first kind of post-vis of that explosion and then Uh, lip sync went really wild with it I love how kind of strangely hand animated it feels there's almost a slight Fantasia vibe to it if that makes any sense but um, it's just super cool this was a a different specifically made uh, corner of the set for this scene which is another scene that was on the docket for Gran Canaria, but I thought we could really just make it. Um, the first take, the dust mortar that went off, um, went off right into our uh, suit actor's face. And so he uh, was could not see anything for the scene. And you'll see in the, the post-credits, he was, he was falling all around. Luckily, he was okay. Uh, he kind of stepped into a spot he wasn't supposed to, but... I love uh, I love Transline here. Fuck off, Meat Sack. This was the day where everyone was coming in hot, and uh, it's, it's uh, I I Johnny just knew how, no matter how intense they got, he was going to come over the top of them. And I could see him like in the corner listening to a, like System of a Down, and I was like, okay, this is going to be a good day. I really love the lighting in in the look of this scene. I felt like uh, in particular this shot with Lindsay was was one of uh, Alan's most beautiful. And I always love it when the in-camera lighting, like helmets or flashlights from beyond, actually light people's faces. This little bit here, you know, because it felt like two scenes, but it's kind of one scene. There was a different version where I had intercut back to the camp for uh, for Grant falling asleep. And then we came back to it later. So they were kind of more intercut before and then almost the very last day of locking the cut there was a version where we took out this scene with Lindsay here all together and um it was worth seeing i felt like i i it got the movie down to you know the the hundred minute sort of runtime that everyone was hoping for but i just felt like i'd lost track of her emotionally when we came back after the intercut i felt like in in the following scenes even though she had apologizes uh, pretty much in the scene after this to Johnny so that it could work. There was too many questions I had about her powers and what was really going on with her. And it was quite interesting because the scene kind of showed up in every bit of marketing and trailer. So it was like almost like an essential scene that, you know, there's a version of it that worked without, but to me, I just felt like I needed to know where Rose was at right there. And, uh, I'm really glad that we made that decision to, to keep it in. So these two different scenes here of, of Grant falling asleep and, and Kate uh, patrolling the camp were actually like smaller little intercuts that weren't necessarily supposed to be together. Um, I think one of the lessons from Sean Albertson who um, did the last cut of Beyond Skyline was that he was, stop intercutting so much and make each intercut more of a story, more of a complete story so that the audience doesn't have to keep track of these little bitty things. I think in that one we had like eco um, and Frank where the, the aliens are trying to storm into the bunker and Frank trying to get into the ship and we intercut it a ton. And so, yeah, that was a little bit of a lesson that carried over here for me. And uh, of course, Barrett agreed and, and this, this, I think it's stronger when you have the more complete story for each one. This was a last-minute shot that we put in here. Her line wasn't that, and um, I kind of thought it was a cool way to do ADR by, by popping back to that long POV because it's something we're, we're playing with throughout the whole sequence to feel like they're being watched. Um, it was just to clarify that Rona had injected Juana with uh, part of her cure see some different viewpoints of our tent village which is a very fun set to to play in this whole little sequence actually we had a issue with rona's flight so she was like missing for half the day so i had to kind of shoot everything around a master rather than do the master so kind of explains some of the coverage decisions here um it was uh, it. It hurt my brain, and I think it was the most setups that we did of, of any day throughout the whole production because I was trying to cleverly, you know, continue to move and get details so that when she showed up um, at the end of the day, we were able to to just you know put in her side of everything at the very end, and uh, thankfully it all cut together. That shot of uh, of Trent's uh, belly wound was one of the last. Last little gore shots I added in, thanks to discussions with uh, Scott Weinberg, associate producer, who was like, you know, I could use a little bit more gore. Um, the film was actually going to be PG-13 rated. Um, that was contingent on getting financing. And so, um, you know, I felt like the story wasn't quite as as R-rated in nature as Beyond Anyway. So I thought I could make it work and hopefully I could get, you know, a director's cut or an unrated version um, so everything was shot sort of on the line. It wasn't quite a, as as gruesome or brutal as Beyond Skyline. Um, hoping that I could kind of walk that that line, and then eventually they they said, oh, it, it all kind of just works, and it's it's at the right level of a uh, of a of of an unrated. It, this would be an R rated cut, but it's not um, it's not over the top or anything like that." You know, originally there was an extra team member. Um, so Alexei was actually a Russian man and Naomi was, um, I think she was a Middle Eastern uh, woman and they were together. They were the couple and Alexei's head got popped by a shadow when they first entered. And then uh, Naomi died at the end of the sequence, which, you know, part of me still wishes that that were true. But again, it's just budget constraints. Even, even these suits, let alone, you know, paying for the actors where it was all just a lot of expense to be doing something on this indie budget. So this was using, again, the cobalt stages, but reversing it and doing a big green screen behind them so that we could extend it and show the core of the Armada vessel that, did I say Armada vessel? Armada vessel core that warped out from when she was destroying that space station and warped back into the planet, into this cavern which um, Rose actually had a line explaining that, like, it looks like it warped back into the planet's core, but I was like, eh, it just sounds like sci-fi mumbo-jumbo. I'll just explain it on the commentary. That's genius. Um, But no, I do really like the lighting in here, and here's our shadow moment where, once again, you'll notice I'm always trying to get the helmets off the actors' heads. It's like I want them on to establish it, but uh, they're all such good-looking people. You kind of want the helmets off. Uh, that's one of my, my children yelling in the background because, again, this is a pandemic commentary. Shit. This is kind of blown in double shots because it was a rush through day. And you'll, you'll notice um, here's our big Lord of the Rings shot here, definitely uh, inspired by the Fellowship of the Rings where all of the orcs are coming out to uh, attack them in... The mines of Moria. These shadow shots were all quite challenging and difficult. But shooting this was, was a, a joy. You have a couple of guys in leotards kind of circling around them. And uh, we are so fucked. That's a favorite of mine, too. We had a very cool dolly rig. It was a 360 um, you know, circle of track that I was spinning around them on this. And we did a lot of slow mo and a lot of cool stuff, but it ultimately, it kind of wanted to be more steady and more of this crane. Um, it just felt a little bit more in the moment. But I think right there, and you'll see later when he says "lock and load," Corporal are the the circle dolly tracks. But right there, that's uh, that's that's a little of. of uh, Bad Boys 2, Michael Bay sort of love, because you know I love those films. And then um, you see a nice dynamic pull here on that explosion. And this drone was like, you know, supposed to be the Hydra from Skyline, but the asset did not survive from that long ago. Uh, You know, Hydraulics uh, and Greg and Colin provided us with. Uh, all of the assets that they had, including the the mothership and the tankers and the pilots and the harvesters, um, but the har- the the Hydra didn't make it, and so they lip sync kind of created their own kind of simplistic version of that. And here we are coming inside to the Armada. Why is the Armada orange? Well, because we got tired of all the blue, and uh, it felt like a nice um, different change of pace and that there's obviously some energy with inside here. This place is still operational and it gave us a little bit more of a complementary colors and an interesting spectrum. These, This webbing here was just the idea that it's like these big, huge alien cobwebs are kind of built over some of the biomech. This was an interesting um, kit bash asset that uh, Benny and Thomas cooked up from scope. And here we are in the core drive corridor here. Now you see these, these are like what we like to call the, the diorama sets again. You know, this set looks great from like right ahead. If you start turning the side, the, the shots too far to the side, either way you're gonna see basically through the set. And then on the other side, it was green screen and CG for all of the extensions. This entire core drive asset sequence was really put together um, by executive producer and CG supervisor, Benny Dietz. And it was a tough one to figure it out if it was all going to to work within the cut. I mean, we'd had an earlier scene that we omitted where we kind of set up the core drive layer within our own mothership. And this was a bigger outsized version of it, but... Trying to figure out how that was all going to work and if the audience was going to buy it, um, it was very tricky. So getting great post viz from Benny and, and Thomas at Scope really helped, you know, fill in the blanks for me. And uh, when we had our first screening in December, and uh, and got feedback from our distributors and sales teams, no no one had any questions about this. So that made me very happy. There's more uh, Matthew Santoro holograms. This was one of our few fully green screen sets, which was a a green screen ramp that we did um, towards the end of shooting. And Lindsay got to feel Frank's pain uh, for how much green we had and beyond. But it was one of those days when I was watching her do it in the green and and how focused she was that I was just like, there's just no one else who, who could have really done this movie. The commitment that she gives to this role and and how fully invested she is in it. It's uh, so just a real pinch myself type of moment. We really played with a lot of different colors in here. Um, you know, we started introducing the purple, which becomes a, a bigger color now in the back half of the movie, and uh, and that because we're, we're within purples and blues, there's a lot of magenta, and uh, magenta was uh, like again a color that. Was a was sort of a dirty word to me coming up in the in the aughts, and um, I come to really enjoy the joys of pinks and magentas and especially purple. And there's our big blue siren light moment, which you know hopefully doesn't get spoiled by uh, anything online as a moment because I really liked how that kind of threw the audience for a loop. Um, during the early screenings of the movie and was a nice little throwback to the first skyline and the entrancing blue light. And now we have Rose entranced. I always like this shot. Trent and Leon have an interesting relationship. And so this was um, originally two separate scenes where one, she... She went up against the big Debrainer harvester from the Beyond Skyline Black Pit sequence. And then later she met up with some actual harvester aliens, uh, these shepherd harvesters. And uh, just to combine them all together um, was something I, I came up with in post, having those those three guys there to kind of show that she's. Th- this is where they've been hiding um, since... Cobalt was attacked, and all of the pilots have been turned into shadows. The uh, the actual harvesters retreated into this core, and they've all been hiding down there like it's a bunker. Um, this was uh, an excellent Jeremy Fitzgerald stunt choreo and suit acting. There's only so many people in the world who who can do it as well as this guy, and in, we called it the Trent Batman shot, where he uh, he takes out owens and then puts the power claw to leon's neck that was the first take It was just like fuck yeah and this is uh where people tell you hey how did her hair get changed uh, such a continuity issue well you can see right there the tentacle was doing her hair that was an alien salon and if you watch movies like that you're watching movies wrong Here we have our baddie, the matriarch, played by Fong Zhang, who is part of Real Deal Stunts. Uh, uh, Just a really talented performer, never been in stilts before, never really been in a suit before, and took to it uh, just from pure athleticism and great acting. And here we see the matriarch's face, which was uh, uh, a very lovely bit of retconning I can go into in a second. This was our uh, Waiting for Godot on an alien planet scene. Um, originally, I had them kind of teaming up with Trent, and they had a bigger mission. And budgetarily, it just wasn't in the cards. But I literally just kind of took them out of the narrative here. And uh, we filmed a, a longer f- scene, having some fun with that. So yeah, the the Harvester suits from Beyond Skyline, which we called the Shepherd, um, both the pilot and the Harvester, Originally, we we're going to have their mandibles and their mouths animated. And when that just proved to be uh, too expensive, it didn't really make sense for me to then do it within the sequel and try to figure that out. So uh, I really liked that we had a, a sort of Russian doll thing in with the with the, the, the tankers in, in the first one and that there's actually an alien with inside an alien. And so I thought, oh, it might be kind of a clever idea to have what we thought was the face to, of the the harvester open up, and we see there's actually a softer, uh, more intelligent-looking being inside, and then that way I could animate its mouth and do a fully CG performance. But uh, then when the action's coming, I'll have that helmet snap back around, and it's it's a cheaper effect. The tentacles here I thought were, were really well done. Um, just in general, I think the matriarch is is a fairly seamless creature from the legs to the tentacles to the face. It's just an an excellent job with the face designed by scope and then animated by lip sync. Even there, we have some of the eyes from Justin. And uh, I just couldn't be prouder uh, of that character and that creature work across the board. Alan Holt designed the Matriarch suit, and then Fido and Crete took care of it on set. There's a lot of different people coming together um, to make something special. This was a bit of a longer standoff here where she actually blasted Trent with the blue light, and he used his uh, his blue light blockers that we set up in the first act to stop her from doing it. And uh, that there was a whole lighting change built into that, but it was just going to be too confusing to have Trent have blue eyes during this whole fight. Uh, so I wanted to keep his red eyes, and, and the easiest way to do that was to just cut that bit. So if you always thought, why do they, they have these blue light things and it never really pays off? That was the payoff. Um, but ultimately, you know, we had pacing issues. We wanted to get the, this thing tighter, and it just made too much sense to to trim that little beat out. I really love that big wide here, that big shot. And this was sort of a, the, the crucifixion of Trent, the upside-down crucifixion. When I got in here, uh, I think it was around week three, and I really wanted to do much more graphic, tighter diopter shots, which you saw a lot of on, on Rose's eyes during the the mesmerizing scene with the matriarch. And then we, we get into some of it here as well. Um, it wasn't until the edit with Barrett that we came up with the idea of, of reintroducing Mark Corley, Frank Grillo's voice into this moment. And once we did that, we were like, oh, oh yeah, that makes too much sense. That's great. Here we have these pinks and the purples and you know the red and the blue energies inside of her combining into this new purple energy where she's she's no longer fighting that part of her nature the the blue side she's kind of embracing all parts and that's why she's finally coming into her true power and now we see the the payoff of of the the matriarch's kind of mental interference into rose's head that because she has this bit of alien dna that's been uh, inside of her that she's able to kind of reach out and interfere with her that's what stopped her from destroying the armada giving the matriarch a chance to escape and that's what's sort of been haunting her all this time i love that shot of the matriarch's face and we have our big alien cadbury cream egg the core drive I mean, I just, I, I love that sequence down there. I love the, the, the risks that we took with the lighting. This was a very kind of fun moment for me where I, it, it, was, it was starting the language with, uh, with Lindsay of how she was going to be using these powers and that like here she is fully charged up in a way that we've never seen. And all of the pushing and the struggle that was happening, you know, when she was in the cavern with the, with the red power claw is gone. She really just kicks their ass and takes them out quite easily here to show that she's, you know, at a different level. And then here we have, you know, again, if you're watching the movie wrong, it might bother you. But I I do love uh, Jonathan uh, Leon's line there about, uh, you know, you look great. Just addressing the fact that, uh, you know, wherever you were, (laughs) whatever you did, you're you're, I'm digging the new look. Um, You know, this is all make believe people. You got to have some fun with it. This was um, obviously the same set that they came in to start with, but that was filmed on a different day where we only had one wall up. And then here we had we had built the the second wall so that it felt more like a contained corridor that we could fly in and out. I love this uh, this twist moment. I, I just like how we get kind of the double twists of, of uh, Rose turning on them and then them turning on her. And this was something that I really loved what Jonathan did in this moment and we kind of did a nice ramp to slow-mo here in the light on her face. Now here we are um, with a fun sequence that was uh, animated by uh, uh, three animators that I've known for over 10 years that did a lot of big shots on Skylines. Um, one of them was the co-writer of Skyline, Joshua Cordes, who uh, obviously, none of this would exist without all of what he's done for for these for this franchise. Um, the other two are Joel Sevilla and Jeremy Butler, and they're they're three kind of good friends from the East Coast. That uh, yeah, I was so happy that they were able to come back and uh, contribute and and build this this little sequence for us this this hallway fight where they animated the harvesters and the shadows. There was a take here where Rose like, kind of screamed you knew at him. And uh, it worked so good for the energy on set. But then I was like, well, let's instead of doing the scream at him, use that scream as you're pushing the power out. And I really love that. Obviously, I really enjoy when Lindsay's screaming and, uh, and grunting and blasting people as hard as she can. Now, this was something that they we uh, had developed for earlier in Cobalt Cavern. But I felt like it didn't fit her character for the moment. Um, I felt like Rose, it, it made her feel too confident in that battle. And that battle was all about being scared and overwhelmed by a new enemy. And then her powers failing her. So uh, it, it just made too much sense. Um, I think it was only a few days before this when I realized, you know, that bit that we, we lost out of the Cobalt Cavern. I think it would really work awesome for this. So then I had to really uh make time in the schedule so that we could get that down and that that entire fight there is all Lindsay. um you know a lot of times we had to use natalie uh for Lindsay just because of the schedule of how little time we had um and and she had to always be shot a main unit so it made sense for a lot of uh, of roses overs to be done by natalie but we had the the whole afternoon there and so that's all, all that wire work was Lindsay. she did a great job I always laugh at that this shot here where it's like a little bit of a recap, like back from commercial break. Um, Kate kind of gives you the update of everything that's going on. And this is one of my favorite shots of the movie. Um, I had it on my phone, and I would just watch the different takes over and over again. Uh, there's Rajid, one of our stunt performers, getting his head popped open. Here's a little second unit melee with the creatures. And this was the challenging scene because you have um, three different stunt performers on these massive stilts. And here we are. The payoff. What what is this guy doing in the movie? This is why. Again, if it bothers you that he's back, this movie's not for you. And you're not for me. We don't get along because this is what I'm here for. I'm so happy that Justin Martinez was able to add that throat slash out for that effect right at the deadline. Um, so yeah, Rona is, has mentioned this, but she is just a ton of fun to work with because she understands tone and that she takes everything seriously, but she's not afraid to have a little bit of whimsy and, uh, and, and go for it. And so she asked me right before this, do you have a line for me here? And I said, "I, I did write down one in the script, but I was too embarrassed to put it into the pages. Well, just whisper it to me. And I said, uh, no respect for science. And she just looked at me and kind of <laughs> smiled and said, well, that's a Roger Moore line, darling. I, I can do that. No problem. And, and she is, uh, uh, you know, she is the female James Bond as far as I'm concerned. It was so awesome for me to just be like, oh, wow. And then, and then the, later on, she was just kind of like, what if I said <laughs> we're not in Kansas anymore? I'm like, well, when you say that it, it sounds good, so let's do it. And she, she started kind of understanding the tone and the vibe of where we were and having fun with it, which is uh, all you can ask for really. This is really an impressive scene by Lindsay and, and Jonathan to me, just because of the schedule. Like it, I think it's a total of like eight takes this entire scene. Is it is a little pocket set that we built in the corner of our cobalt stages. And we, I think even the last two takes, it was like the crew's like gonna turn the lights off. We're done. Um, Jonathan begged them for one more, even though he had already nailed it. But yeah, it's real, real minimal coverage. I think it's like you know three masters, two and two on them, and um, just uh, it's just the 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 benefit of having also a, such a, a great DP who can light something this beautiful and this fast. On on such a tiny, you know, unremarkable little piece of set, which is basically liquid latex and like trash bags stretched over some some structure. Um, but I've I've done quite a bit of work, or we did quite a bit of work with the colorist, kind of making sure your eyes aren't aren't looking back there and that you're focused on on Leon and and Rose. And I really do love Leon's speech there as well, kind of bringing. Bringing their arc full circle. And so now it's like they're finally together. They're finally, you know, friends. And they're, we start to kind of hit a tone that, to me, is my favorite part of the movie. Um, you know, once their kind of inter character conflict between Rose and Leon is resolved, they, they really start to have fun together. This was one of the later um, sets that we shot, and this is this is the armory set that has been redressed for the Alien Armory version. And you know, I kind of wanted to do just a different style, visually uh, fight scene than the rest. So I, I, I went to them. I said, I really want to do this as a oneer, and we did it with all of the stunt people kind of getting up and coming back around and working with Johnny. And then we would do uh, a take where there was no one in there and and vice versa. I think we only did about six and there was like three really damn good ones. Really happy with how that all came out. Even the shadows I think look fantastic in this sequence. And there, that a girl, the beautiful tanker, which uh, I love the way the tanker looks in this film in general. And I love the purple lights. You know, it's like, it's Lindsay's power, red and blue. And this was something that I wanted to do since Beyond Skyline, really just have a scene where one of the good guys piloted a tanker and beat the shit out of a bunch of aliens. And it was awesome to have them both sort of doing it in tandem. And of course I had to use the aliens line there. I mean, it just fit too perfectly. It's like, it wasn't force fed, but, uh, you know, And and then I I really love Jonathan's ad-lib back that finally she's impressed. Here's an homage to Beyond Skyline itself. Uh, That was a similar shot of Trent when he was first assimilated in Beyond Skyline. I mean, this little stunt was was very funny to film on set. Just one picking him up in the one set and then having uh, Jonathan hold on to a rope and then dropping him in to the cockpit set, uh, I think, later that week. Uh, everybody, else, we just couldn't help but crack up. And this, again, I, I, just love the the tone that we reach at this part, it's where it really is just pulp adventure fun. Look at the, the proud son bringing dad home the trophy. <laughs> I mean, even though Daniel has no lines in this scene, I think he's so great. Such a great physical actor. We did a bunch of takes where Alexander really turned it up and kind of snapped at Z. He a like, get this man some rest. And uh, I loved every minute of it, but I was like, let's just slowly inch the way towards the uh, the James Bond villain movie that I'm dying to unleash in, in the last reel. So I was just still kind of inching our way there, still tweaking the tone. The Tanker Cockpit in Beyond Skyland was a fully green screen set that um... – a great artist Gregory Haas really made kind of come to life but for this one I because I had you know actors in there I, I really wanted to build a set and so we basically took some of the walls from our Cobalt set and put them behind there and we did our, our old trusty pillars and crisscrossed them and then uh, a lot of this is is just all great in-camera lighting from Milan. Justin Martinez added some energy layering to show uh, the mental connection and, and a little bit more of a, a simplified version from what we did and beyond. But we had so many more shots of it that uh, I knew we had it to kind of, kind of go with a different, uh, more in camera approach. And here is the cheapest prop in the movie. That is just an LED light in his hand and it did the job. Uh, our, the first takes here from the reverse, There, There's no whiskey glass But you can't really tell um, And I was having so much fun with Alexander I was like oh you know we set you up with that whiskey What if we brought that back here And he said absolutely And uh, and brought it out He did much more drunker takes And I was like well I think it's probably His first glass not his, not his third So he of course dialed it in perfectly Um really a fan of this sequence. That uh, previous shot of the matriarch coming in was something that we had longer and then much shorter. And I feel like we ended up just right so that you get a shot of her face and you also see the the whole ship pulling off. But this is to me like one of the more ambitious parts of the whole film that we, I had this kind of gravity destruction of a planet imagery in my head. For I don't know 15 years one of the first scripts I ever wrote was called singularity and it was about a black hole on earth destroying the planet Uh, of course you know that was like the first thing I wrote was let's destroy the entire planet Uh, so to be able to kind of use some of these images that I've been wanting to do in this sequence and that shot right there of the tanker that's in the trailer is I think the biggest and possibly best visual effect in the entire trilogy. It was very gratifying.
0: You got to get that whiskey glass back in there. I mean, look at that. I love it.
1: Originally, he just said, I am become death. And I was like, let's just go for it, Alexander. (laughs) He said, really? (laughs) Really? Come on, that, that, that reaction shot to Violet is actually the funniest shot to me in the whole movie. Just kind of, it's it's so well animated by Justin. And uh, it's such, I mean, that that to me is supposed to be funny. I don't know if people understand my sense of humor. A few of you do, and I love you. And speaking of which, uh, this was another part that I, I found very funny and obviously a lot of fun to shoot on set. Um, where I feel like this is a throwback is that we just had to tell so much story in every single shot, you know, it, it, each exterior CG of this, it, you know, they're expensive and um, we just couldn't make something that was like an indulgent CG action sequence. Every single bit has to kind of get us closer to the to the story here. And it also goes with really one of the main reasons I use snap zooms is that you're getting two shots in one in the CG. So you're getting a wide and then you're kind of getting a detail. And uh, sometimes I'll then break up the snap zoom afterwards and use it for two shots, which, you know, is a, is a good value. The lovely uh, med lab. So uh, main unit, we shot this, this stare down where I, I love that we kind of got into this graphic novel profiles of them, which kind of, to me, symbolizes like you're, you're kind of moving into a, a comic book style face off and you're about to get a splash page right here. And then this uh, then goes into the second unit fight, which was like the least worried I'd ever been about a second unit in my life and probably ever will be because – you know you have cha and daniel as the performers like incredible stunt performers martial artists actors and then you have jean um directing and fong was there as well coordinating so i was like uh, i think i popped my head in at like lunch and everyone's like this is the fastest fight we've ever seen and i was like great keep going uh so and it really did help that um the set had all this sort of pre-lighting in there, so that they weren't—they were free to just kind of go wild. You know, we had these big light panels into the walls, the light underneath, with a nice safety cover over those lights, and uh, and they could just go wild. There was a little bit longer here where he actually hit onto a chair and then hit to the door and then got back up. That's really the only trim that we put in there. And uh, there's Jonathan um, doing his his expected father routine. You know pushing Rose through. Uh, We were just laughing that it felt like a a bit of a pregnancy. Um, (laughs) He's he's the pregnancy coach and she's grunting, pushing their way up. This was a very tricky thing visual effects wise um, because obviously the CG arms aren't gonna match the the practical ones. Um, We were supposed to do CG over the practical ones but it just didn't become feasible for the budget. So by intercutting this Hopefully you don't notice it until now. Now I've ruined the whole sequence for you. Um, So here's what I was, you know, hinting at before is that I think um, every action filmmaker at some point in their life wants to do scenes that are feel a little bit reminiscent of James Bond. And this to me was a kind of classic James Bond type of scene. I noticed uh, some British fans and, Critics were saying that this has a, a Doctor Who vibe, but I, I never really watched any Doctor Who. I think I saw the first uh, Moffat one, one episode. Um, so to me, this was this was definitely um, Total Recall that I was uh, I was riffing on, which you can tell in the uh, Home in Time for Cornflakes and Back to London in Time for Tea. Um, I love Ronnie Cox in in RoboCop and Total Total Recall, and so yeah, I was I was. Thinking of Radford here as as part uh, James Bond villain, part Verhoeven villain. I love how Lindsay's acting. You know, again, is telling us how much energy she has left in the tank, and uh, and just in general, I, I I really dig that this is, you know, both serious and fun. You know, it's treading the line, uh, the tone exactly the way I want. But they're all they're all one hundred percent invested in the moment, and I really enjoy how it all builds into, into Lindsay's shot here, um, in that line, you know, you're going to have to fight for it. That's, that's sort of the energy of this whole movie As uh, you can, you can push her down, but she's, she's not going to give up. This sort of, um, slow motion moment between multiple characters to, to get one moment here with the payoff was not something I ever did and beyond and it was definitely a challenge. Just a scratch, okay? That bullet just scratched Rose. Um, but then have it kind of build and pay off into this moment with Trent. Um, it was just very satisfying to have, have something in your mind and, and have it all kind of come out better than, than you hoped. This entire sequence was kind of my biggest uh, pit of dread because uh, I, I, we only had four days to shoot it and uh the blocking was quite intricate and trying to maximize the set by shooting into all of the different corners was something i would do after each day of shooting i would go back and uh continue planning the shot list and kind of do my overhead planning for for how we could have all of these fights happening at the same time within that space now here's rona's uh one-liner that she she came up with that i loved and then this was a lot of fun of doing like a, basically I was did this all in, in, in kind of a big steady cam, following them all around. Uh, the drone footage was something we got towards the end um that helped fill everything out and and really populate this. There you see the eye shots, she's picking them off. <laughs> and then of course Rona goes full John Woo. And this is uh my favorite kill for, from from Yayan, um, which was a, a second unit shot that I, I was happy I was able to be there for. And then Justin Martinez uh, put the finishing touches on with that throat slash. Leon versus Owens was a fun fight. Um, we shot Leon and the master on the main unit, and then um, Owens was able to really knock the crap out of his uh, out of Leon's stunt double on second unit, and it all cut together really well. I really enjoyed this moment between Rose and Jeremy. Um, it took us a, a while to find this, but the the once Rose kind of started pleading and reaching out to him. Um, It felt like they were able to really lock in and and set up that whole conflict uh, that Trent's going through. Um, I really enjoyed bringing the, the, the set into the fight whenever I can and having them kind of banging against these big tanker claws. It's again, we're using the same set for all of this. So I needed to have to spread everybody out and pull them apart, have all these things still feel like they're happening at the same time. Now, this in the scripted version, he said Mark, and uh, I realized that people might have forgotten who that is, so we did the ADR of your father, and look at the look of Lindsay here. I love that. I love that fire and that intensity, and uh, Alexander really laying it on abominations. Now, this little shot here of Johnny, I think, makes this whole fight. It's just such a great, like, he's... Yeah, he—you might get him down, but he's gonna—he's gonna go to the end, and he'll stick a finger into your wound and grit his teeth. Now get the fuck out of my way was an ad lib by Alexander that cracked me up, and I thought was just perfect to show his disdain for even the the people most loyal to him, because to him they're not people. Um, that's obviously a, a, a homage to Bishop's demise and aliens, but uh, to do it with a real life human being, I thought would be uh, fun. And this was a, a really big master on the steady that I would kind of pieced all of this together with a big roving master and then picked off different steady cam shots to intersect and build this together. Saw a little bit by the, the seat of my pants. And I, I kind of enjoyed this as a, a little homage to Beyond Skyline that we had eco versus, versus a, a pilot and that that was a similar framing but in this case the matriarch's not gonna fuck around with owens we saw that guy just completely kick the shit out of two of our adept male heroes and then but she's gonna show that you know a human's just no match for her and and bitch him out um, which helps set up you know the the final battle between rose and the matriarch so it, it was just a great feeling to feel all of this kind of coming together, the blood energizing her. And then here, that was an, another idea that was kind of spur of the moment. It just didn't feel like the the end fight was really coming together and feeling special enough. And it was like, Oh, she grabs Trent's power claw and puts it on and we bring back Frank's Mark's power claw from beyond skyline. So she has that on her left hand and, uh, you know, there was talk that it would be a plasma sword. It just didn't feel special enough. I'm so happy that uh, I think it was Lindsay who pushed me and said, like, it just gets, something's got to feel special here. And I remember pitching it to her that morning, and uh, you could tell from the look on her face that it was a winner. I'm always happy to bring it back. Uh, and it hadn't appeared in the movie up until there, so it, it was it was great to get it back in and, and to, to see her on it as, like, a truly – carrying on the legacy here and again wanting to get the set involved in the fight uh, it, it made sense for the Matriarch to to fling that on and then go into this big sort of video game splash page comic book standoff here which is one of my favorite shots that I've ever gotten to to do in a film and i was really happy with the way lip sync brought it to life there's a lot of exceptional visual effects in this sequence and the energy wall is is really a standout coming up is one of my favorite uh alan shots on the dolly where i was kind of doing a steady cam on another camera and then i came over and saw what he did and i was like oh fuck. you just kicked my ass that shot is amazing um you know pulling her in to the matriarch trying to come up with a satisfying ending it felt natural to Bring her in and and have the tentacle come back but now Rose um, you know just has so much more power and of course we're going to face melt if we want to be a face melter we have to melt faces I enjoyed how this intercut worked and I thought Jonathan really did a great job with Jeremy um, showing Trent and and Leon's conflict there and how it's each each kind uh, our heroes kind of overcoming and what we think is is going to be the winning move. But of course, you know what I really like um is how everything kind of comes together organically here. Yes, there's uh oh, here's Daniel in Owen's goodbye, which is a little uh Terminator 2 vibes to me with uh the he he just of course looks like a Terminator no matter what he does. <laughs> And of course, there's the alien's inspiration here, but it all kind of felt organic to what we had built up to this point. And um, the tentacles uh, on the matriarch really helped build everything to here. And sometimes, I I mean, I actually think this final version is better than anything that was in the script, anything that, that I wrote or imagined. I really love how the stakes keep building and building here. So on set I would was reading uh Trent's lines cuz in the script these were the only words that he like pretty clearly said and uh every time I would I was off camera giving them to Lindsay I would get kind of flooded with emotion cuz I do feel like I am Trent in a weird way which is probably why I named my baby uh boy in August after him um you know it was just an emotional moment and felt like it was uh kind of the end of this whole emotional dynamic that had inspired me to make this movie to begin with. And just even the thought of him sacrificing himself for her got me emotional on set. So I felt like that was a great sign of, of what the finished scene would be. And every time I watched this, I mean, this this shot here uh, in Lindsay's face is just to me, it's it's the emotional climax right here of the entire film. And I had to really convince her to do that one because it wasn't on the schedule. We were going to actually do it on green screen. And I just looked at the set. I said, this set's too gorgeous. Why am I going to do this background as green screen? It's, it's not going to look as good. And so Alan came up with putting the sled on the front of the dolly and having her lie there and, and push into it. And I think because it wasn't on the schedule, it was took her off guard a little bit. You, know, you have to sit there. You have a camera kind of right into your, your whole body, and you're screaming into the lens. It's always a, a vulnerable thing to ask the actor to do. And I was like, you just have to trust me. It's going to be the best shot in the movie. And um, luckily she did. And delivered beyond all my expectations. I'm just so pleased with that sequence. So here is a, is a part of the movie that you know was going to be radically different even uh, during the shoot. There was definitely a version of the movie where Trent died. And it was something that never sat right with me. Um, it was a, a pre-production note that I had made work and I liked it on, on the page, how, how it had gotten, but I just, I never felt like the tone was going to survive the, the fun escapist vibe that I was going towards. And, um, I just didn't feel like his story was, was really over, you know, this is still, um, Mark's son. And if we were going to, to bring some idea of that back and explore in the future, it just felt like that, that they had more issues and more story to be resolved, more relationships to be resolved so there, throughout the entire um, script, they they had Trent and Rose had more conflict, and I just felt like sometimes that's a that's a note people give, um, you know, to really kind of sound smart. <laughs> and 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 sometimes some characters don't need that much, you know they have a little bit in the beginning and they they'll have arguments and stuff but i I think it's it's actually really important to know that characters love each other and they don't have to always be at odds. We had enough conflict within the group, we had enough conflict with the characters it It was always really important to me to know that she loved Trent and Trent loved her and uh I do thank um a piece of fan art by um, daphne danielson who who I remembered seeing of, uh, of Rose and Trent hugging. And it kind of reminded me that that was the dynamic that I wanted to make this movie on. And so I, I, adjusted it, uh, in prep and on the fly and we shot two endings, which I'll get into later. Um, this was, uh, obviously a big horde coming over the, the hillside is, uh, is, is, is something I have always wanted to do. Um, this was a, a really maximizing the, the, the entire setup of the, the tent village. It's like that that's kind of our stand in for all of earth. It's these three people that we've gotten to know and, and care about. And, and, uh, we need to get her back to, to save the day. I really love the score in this moment. I thought Ram did a great job of kind of bringing the big Rose hero theme full circle. This, uh, drone footage was was a really great uh, tool to, to tell the story here and really give this moment the scope that it needed kind of have to condense our storytelling in moments like this um, again it's like every shot has to tell a lot of story but to me this feels like you know uh, an appropriate trilogy capper in some ways just because of these. this scene in itself to have this everything start with these blue lights coming down from the sky and, and sucking humans up into ships, and then at the end. We have kind of uh, the savior of uh, of both Earth and alien kind, our hybrid, and she's um, sucking up aliens to save humans. It felt like a nice inversion and uh, thematically a, a good twist on on where we had begun to to just how crazy things have gotten. <laughs> We call this the gender reveal shot. I would say, it's a girl. Um, you know, it's kind of trying to push, not necessarily just do the old tractor beam, and we gave it some particles there. And, and I, I think it's a, it was a cool effect that LipSync came up with. You'll see this uh, steady cam shots kind of bringing them together. It was definitely um, some symmetry to the ending of Beyond Skyline. And that film actually originally did end with a hug between uh, Mark and Trent, which um, was, a, was a hilarious, uh, whereas it, it worked really well here with Rona and Lindsay. And some people have noticed it as sort of a, a baton passing sort of scene, which I think is, is a beautiful sentiment that wasn't necessarily a conscious choice, but it totally makes sense to me. Uh, I just love the energy between the two of them. And uh, I, I've always wanted to end a movie on a warm hug. Who doesn't? Definitely feels like a job well done. And uh, I always love to have the heroes walk off into the sunset. Although in this case, it was a thunder and lightning storm happening, and we wrapped right after that. But that because that was in camera. So we did film two versions of this scene. I'm not going to tell you the other one because that might be uh, something that I'd explore in a in a sequel. But I, I had to kind of throw together this other version of Trent on the day. So that was Jeremy Fitzgerald in the leotard and, and sort of half a helmet. Um, and we we kind of improvised and, and wrote this scene together with, uh, with the crew and just really, really happy how, how it all turned out and the tone um, and, and the chemistry everybody has built up at this point. I, I, like, I like my crew. Um, and it just felt like everything with Rose um, for her inner conflicts had, had been resolved. And this was the missing piece still, um, for Trent and Rose now that they still had to, to find their father and, and, and get some, some closure to that relationship. So, you know, uh, maybe that will be the sequel one day. If not, you can kind of imagine your own story, but, um, I'm hopeful. These movies somehow keep getting made. Uh, thanks to the hard work uh, of that man right there, Matthew Chaus, my producing partner who is really, you know, came on for beyond skyline and skylines and, and, and just really the miracle worker behind putting these, these things together. Again, we brought back the blooper reel ending, um, that we started this tradition at beyond skyline. And I love it for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, I see it as sort of a curtain call um, for the actors. I, I just remember, you know, my older brother was an actor and I used to go to his plays a lot growing up and I'd always loved it when the Scarecrow and the Tin Man came out at the end and waved and, and bowed. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it It's it, it, it's just a fun thing. It, it actually shows, it, in a lot of ways, how much work goes into the movie um, from from every department. And it just shows... Uh, the incredible production design cinematography makeup hair um, everybody pulling together to make this intergalactic sci-fi epic on a budget and have fun doing it you have to create that environment it, it actually takes a lot of work to have people do good work and have have fun doing it it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of homework it's a lot of prep but um, I really just we lucked out with this cast, and um, even in the place where, you know, just being in Vilnius, it, it's a small city, it's a small, beautiful city, but it did feel like we are all kind of in in summer camp together. So every time I, w- I sent this to the different cast members to, to get their blessing, and uh, they all basically said the same thing. Oh, I just miss everybody. <laughs> so, um, you know, hopefully... Hopefully we get to do another and it is sad that we're in this uh, pandemic and we didn't get to do uh, the festival circuit and kind of do a premiere and bring everybody back together. But that's that's what my special thanks was to to everyone on on all three movies, because, um, you know, each one can't exist without the one before it. And we owe a lot to each and every crew each and every person that that helped us get this far. Uh, So this last one I will explain. She was stressing really, really hard, and she's waiting for me to cue the tentacle to get her onto the ship. And I just kind of got lost in the scene, really enjoying it and milking out the tension. And she's straining, straining, straining. Like we kind I knew we already kind of had it. I was being greedy. And so finally she said, "Uh, fuck you, Liam. And in that moment I was like, oh, that's definitely to make the blooper reel and then it just was uh all all the better to put uh put the film by credit in right after that uh you know like I, i i work i work everybody pretty hard but at the end of the day they are allowed to tell me to fuck off and uh and smile and then we'll go back and do it again so wow i can't believe we made it through um i I usually want to want to cry at the end credits. Uh, I'm going to try to make it through uh, without doing that, but it really has been uh, an emotional journey. It is strange to look back at 10 years of your life with the same franchise, and each one kind of takes on a different chapter. You know, I mentioned before, um, I have four children. Um, my son, Ronan, was a baby in the first Skyline he's the baby on the airplane um, that uh, Eric Balfour helps uh, my wife uh, the baby's mother with luggage Uh, in the second film um, my daughter Ruby played uh, Little Rose for a shot that we did as a pickup and uh, and then in this film uh, neither Pearl nor uh, baby Trent appeared in it but they're both uh, very much inspirations uh, on either side Uh, you know my, my little pearl who's now four uh, had has definitely the spunk of a, of a little rose um, and so Ruby, who's now seven and, and pearl were, were both sort of my my inspirations for wanting to make um, just a, a really cool female superhero movie within my world and um, so th- that was sort of something that uh, you know I, I wanted to to give them, uh, an update of, of the, the female superheroes, female heroes in this genre that I grew up loving. I wanted to do uh, a new version for them to enjoy and, and, uh, and obviously for, for Ronan too. And then, you know, this name Trent uh, from Beyond Skyline, listening to Frank yell Trent um, for a year on set or half a year on set and then two years in post, and then to go write another movie and shoot another movie and then edit that and still hear people yelling the name Trent, and I still like the name, just felt like a, a really good start, a really good uh, sign that that was a good name for, to be in my life uh, for the remainder of it. So named named my son who was born in August, Trent. In fact, you've probably heard them screaming uh, in the background throughout this uh, pandemic commentary and so, again, the biggest thanks goes to my wife, Pet, who uh, really none of these films would be possible without, but especially this one being gone in Vilnius for the shoot. Um, we even did some editing at the house, Barrett and I, and she uh, has just been my rock through thick and thin. And uh, love, love you with all my heart, Pet. Thank you. Um, everybody else, uh, again, uh, I don't know how many times I can say it, but it really is, uh, it just nothing short of a miracle that we've managed to make, uh, make three of these and that, in my opinion, we keep getting better at it. Um, you know, I know, uh, I have a, they're like my children. There's a special part, uh, in, in my a special place in my heart for each film, but I, I just feel like the. At least I know on my side, as as a writer, and uh, and then as a director, I feel like I've gotten better uh, with each outing, and so that's why it would be fun to to continue. and And who knows? Who knows where this will take us? But um, give another shout out to Lip Sync and the visual effects. Um, I didn't want to get too visual effects heavy on this commentary, but it's a it's a lot of work. And, and it's really impressive. And they had to take over um, you know, and, and learn this whole new world that uh, I was already so immersed in. And, uh, and they were very patient with me <laughs> and, and helped, uh, helped build this. Um, big thanks to uh, Alexis Mancola and Three Teeth. Uh, I was there for their first show in L.A. Uh, I've known Lex since the first grade. Um, one of my best friends in in my whole life. And uh, it just was like his music just fit the post-apocalyptic vibe so well. Um, I was really happy that we were able to get uh, three of my favorite songs that they've done into the movie and hopefully more someday. Um, But yeah, then uh, again, uh, thanks to... My team at Monocular Films here, Justin Martinez, Benny Dietz, Chad, Matthew Santoro, Chris Payne, Chris Wells, Andy Davis, the Animator Trio, Derek Winslow, Rocco Geoffrey, The Legend. Thank you guys so much. I did give a special shout out to a couple of um, hardcore fans uh, from the the three films in, in the special thanks credit because... For me, I feel like fan art is like it, it can be really, really nourishing, and um, like I already explained, Daphne's uh, Trent and Rose uh, piece that really, you know, helped center my heart on those characters. Just seeing that that illustration was like, oh yeah, wow, that that's what this movie is supposed to be about. Um, Liam Cahill is as is a young artist who's done a bunch of cool stuff from beyond skyline and now skylines and, and posted and, um, just, I think is probably the biggest beyond skyline fan in the world. And so, uh, I thank him for all his support and Lewis, uh, did a, a, skylines, uh, fan trailer for us. That was for, for, well, he did it himself, but for us and he sent it to me and I even gave him some feedback. I was like, uh, oh, you're kind of a little off on this. And, and then he, He adjusted it, and I was like, oh, that's pretty close. It's pretty damn good. Um, So, yeah, I just want to thank everybody one more time. And um, couldn't do it without you, and hopefully we can keep making more fun, crazy movies in
0: the Skyline universe. Peace.